Welcome to the Built Not Born podcast presented by Edge Leadership Academy. I'm your host and founder of Edge Leadership Academy, David Kitchen, and together we're going to spend some time with some of the top leaders in their fields to figure out what built them into the leaders they are today and get an inside look at their processes, habits, and philosophies. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, leave a review so we can continue to reach as many aspiring leaders as possible. Also, be sure to join us on our website, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com, for access to all of our free content and resources for leaders and those wanting to be leaders. Um, Be sure to follow us on social media so we can keep the conversation going. I'm fired up to be part of this project, and I'm looking forward to diving into this episode. Leaders are built, not born. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Built Not Born podcast. Uh, This is one of those episodes that you mark on your calendar and you really circle it. It's something you're looking forward to. Um, You know, we were were connected through some mutual friends, and I think this is going to be something that adds a lot of value to a lot of people. So today we're joined by Coach Chuck Pagano. Um, For those of you who might live under a rock or not be part of the the football lifestyle, um, Coach Pagano is is a wealth of knowledge, and he has 35 years of coaching experience. Um, 20 of those years were spent at the NFL level. Um, you know, he was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, was with the Baltimore Ravens and, and all over and, and really is just the kind of guy that is someone you'd love to have an opportunity to sit down and talk to and just pick his brain for a moment. So we're really lucky to get some of his time today. So without further ado, Coach Pagano, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks for being here. And if you could just share a little bit of your background and, and who you are and what we're in for today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really appreciate uh, the opportunity, David. Uh, I love what you're doing, um, you know when you talk about leadership and things like that, and, you know, we had a brief conversation before this, it's a lot of different styles, but I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast and a little bit about my background um, from Colorado. I got into coaching. My dad was a high school football coach uh, for a number of years, uh, very successful, won a couple of state championships at Fairview high school in Boulder. Uh, me and my little brother both played uh, for my dad and he, uh, you know, you being in, in sports and coaching and things like that, he tried to talk both of us out of it, you know, when we graduated college. Uh, but, you know, it's all we knew, you know, it, from, you know, picking up jocks and socks and towels in the locker room to eventually playing college football and whatnot. So, but uh, went to uh, University of Wyoming, uh, played there, graduated there. And then I, my first coaching job was at USC, Southern Cal. Uh, Ted Tolner was uh, my first head coach, gave me my first uh, opportunity and still friends to this day. Uh, me and his son, Bruce, is, is kind of my is my agent, my go to guy. He was going to school at the time there and two years there. And then I went to University of Miami uh, with Jimmy Johnson, 86, GA there. And then my first full time job was at Boise State, 87 and 88, uh, went to East Carolina in 89. UNLV, we have that in common. I was there in 1991, um, went back to East Carolina. Uh, Bill Lewis left, went to Georgia Tech. Uh, Steve Logan was on that original staff that I was on. He got the head job. So uh, I had an opportunity to go back with uh, Coach Logan. So I was there three more years. Um, then Butch Davis got the Miami job. So it was my second opportunity to go back to UM with Butch. So I was there 95 to 2000. Um, we kind of rebuilt that program. Coach did an amazing job. He's a phenomenal recruiter and had a great experience there. And then uh, he left, he got the Cleveland job. And so he asked me if I wanted to go to Cleveland, uh, coach secondary there. And, and I, you know, I never really thought about, you know, the, the NFL, um, you know, I always kind of treated every job that I had, like it was going to be my last. Um, and so, uh, you know, just, it was a, it was a golden opportunity, and so we went to we went to the Browns. We were there four years. Um, we got let go there, and then we went to the Raiders for two oh five and oh six. Um, ran out of a contract there. You know, Norv Turner, uh, who I've got great great respect for, and phenomenal uh, leader and coach uh, for for a long long time, gave me a job in 05, and then he was let go. And Art Shell was the coach in 06, and he was let go. Uh, God rest Mr. Davis's soul. He, you know, just win, baby. <laughs> we didn't win enough games, so that's why those guys were in and out of there. But I went back to college in in 07 with Butch. Uh, gave me that I was a defense coordinator at U, uh, University of North Carolina, 07. And it's funny because you know I spent 17 years in college, and we go we jump to the NFL, and we have great experience in Cleveland, even though it didn't work out. 
Um, I, my kids were young. They loved, you know, Strongsville, Ohio. It was, you know, the dog pound, all that stuff. And so it was, re it was really cool. And then we go, we went out to Oakland. It was, it was a little bit different, you know, um, we had to rent a home, do a local move because we sold the house, this, that, and the other. So my wife's like, man, I'm done with this NFL stuff. Can we go back to college? So we go back, you know, with Butch, North Carolina. So we're not there six months. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen my kids. I haven't seen my wife. You know, uh, recruiting, academics, the job, this, that, and the other. And she's like, hey, do you think we can get back in the NFL? Tina's <laughs> <laughs> her name, and she's the best. She did a heck of a job raising my three daughters. And uh, uh, I said, you got to make up your mind, you know, decide what you want to do. And fortunately, I was lucky that John Harbaugh got the Baltimore job in 2008 and had a very good friend on that staff, Jerry Rosberger, reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in coming up and talking to those guys. And then, you know, got on with the Ravens and, Really, just because of that experience uh, in Baltimore, coached the secondary for three years, and then I was fortunate to be at the right place at the right time and got the coordinator's job in 2011. Um, quick story, I know I'm going. You said it was okay if I rambled, but... It. Let, let it rip, you know, Coach, your, your mic. We made it to the uh, you know AFC Championship game that year. So we're up in Foxborough, and we're in a dogfight, obviously, against the, the Patriots, and... There's it's late fourth quarter. There's a couple minutes left. We're down three, and Joe Flacco's taking us down the field. And you know he throws a, a dart to Lee Evans in the corner of the end zone, and we all think shoot touchdown. We're going to the Super Bowl, you know. And a D back from New England knocked that ball out. You may remember. Um, and and so that was it was third down, and then Billy Cundiff trots on. It's a chip shot, and he he missed the field goal, unfortunately. Um, but the, but the long and short of it is, is Indy was, I didn't even have any idea. Indy still had a job opening. We're still looking this, that, and the other. But if we win that game, I don't even have an opportunity to talk to them yeah. uh, because of the rules with the, with the NFL. And they weren't going to wait. They'd been open for a long, long time. You know? So we lose the game, go get, get home 3, 4 in the morning. You know, get in the next morning, Harbaugh calls me in his office and says, Indy called, they want to talk to you. And I said, about what? So I had truly no idea. He goes, about their head job. And I said, call him back, tell him I'm not interested. I love it here, coach. He goes, you crazy? He goes, you have to talk to them. I said, no, I don't. And, uh, and he's like, you want me to call your wife? I said, no, I'll call her. But I said, can I talk to Ozzy? He's going to tell you the same thing, Chuck. So long, long and short of it was, you know, I got an opportunity of a lifetime, went up there, um, Ryan Gregson uh, was the GM and met with Mr. Ursay and stuff and, and it worked out. So the stars had to line up perfectly, you know, for that to happen. And um, it was a great opportunity, great six years there and then sat out 2018, Al Riveron, who's ahead of the officials uh, at the NFL, uh, threw me a lifeline and I went and did a consulting gig with the officials for a year and had to, had a great, great experience uh, working, working in New York at 345 Park Avenue and just a couple of days a week, no pressure, no stress, just watch the games, you know, like a fan and, and uh, just learned, learned a lot. It was a great experience. And then was fortunate enough to get the Bears uh, defense coordinator's job in 2019 after Vic took the Denver job. I'm very, very lucky and uh, obviously a, a great organization and uh, founding father, George Stanley Hallis, who they started football in 1920. So um, Virginia McCaskey, um, George's daughter, still living to this day. I mean, 96 years ago, go to every game. I mean, just, I mean, yeah, really, really fortunate. And then after, after you know, 2020, like everybody else, I was like, I, Turned 60. I always kind of thought 60. I always had kind of 60 in my head as a, as a, you know, number when I'd want to shut things down. And as you know, uh, spending as much time as you did coaching and stuff, um, the sacrifices that your family makes, you know, so for 35, 36 years, um, you know, my, my wife and my kids sacrificed a lot, you know, and so it was, you know, I was in a situation, you know, health-wise, financial-wise, where, you know, I got to, you know, go on my own terms and, and walk away. 
and uh, and it's probably you know uh, best decision I've ever made because I'm I'm giving back to them you know and, and spending uh, a ton of time with with my family and I've got three daughters and three granddaughters and a grandson and so I'm I'm blessed I'm, I'm very very lucky and I had uh, I had great great mentors uh, the entire way uh, learned a, learned a ton from from every one of those uh, head coaches and coordinators and assistant coaches and a bunch of people and and so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed yeah. it's it's you know it's so funny whenever I hear people because I, I didn't ask you this question before usually a lot of people on podcasts they get you know background sheets on people I didn't ask you and and so to hear you you know naming all these other leaders that you were around and all these different things I'm like okay that makes sense that's why this this man is the leader that he is um, because everyone has those influences, like you said, that pour into you and, and give you different perspectives on things. Um, but I think one of the main nuggets that I want people to pull out of what you just said there was that you treated every job like it was your last every time you came in, um, because as high performers and people that do quickly, you know, raise and rise in the ranks or have, you know, unique talents or gifts or strengths, whatever they are, it becomes sometimes this destination syndrome um, where we're starting to look ahead and we're starting to get distracted and get pulled in different directions um, but it sounds to me like you were just able to run your race and that, and it ultimately led you to where you were supposed to be. Is that, is that kind of a, a correct assumption? Yeah. You, you know, that whole grass is greener, you know, and I, and I get that. And, um, you know, the, this generation of, of players and young, young people, and it's what you just described. I mean, I call it the Burger King mentality, you know, they want it now they want it their way, you know, and, uh, but you got to earn it. And so I truly, and I, and I, I was fortunate because I grew up in a football family. I grew up with a, a dad that was a football coach, a head coach. And so I got to watch him, you know, all the time and, and how, how he did things and how he led. And, and uh, uh, but then mostly how he worked, you know, and, and so again, you, you got to earn it. And so, you know, I, I learned early on that because you, you get to see a lot, you see it different ways and different styles and, and some, some really, really good. And some where you say, you know what, that's not me. I'm not going to do it like that. And so I think um, if you're always worried about what's next and you're spending all your time, you know, on the phone network and do this, that, and the other, you're probably going to need another job, you know, cause you're not going to be very good at the one you have, you know? So I just decided, okay, keep your head down, you know, stay in your lane, know your role, you know, bust your butt work your tail off and, you know, do things the right way, treat people right. And, um, you know, things will, things will work out. I, I think as long as you, you treat people the right way and you work hard, um, you know, I, I think more good uh, is going to come out of it than, than bad. So it's, um, you know, and I didn't, you know, you, you got buddies and you get on the phones, things like that, but, I just always tried to do the best job I could where I was. And, and when opportunities were there, you know, it was always a, a family decision on what, what was best for, for, for the family and, you know, my wife and kids and stuff. Absolutely. And, and it's crazy. You know, I, I still have, have coaches that call me and ask me and younger coaches that are, that have either interned or are looking for that first graduate assistant position or whatever it is. And they say, how do I get to X, Y, and Z? How do I do this? How do I do that? And it's, and it's the answers that you just gave. And, and so for anyone listening, if you don't believe it from me, please believe it from this man. Um, it, it's bust your butt. It's do the best you can at, at the place that you're at. And, you know, I, I joke about it, but it's, it's simple, not easy, right? People say, you know, what is it? What's the answer? The answer is simple, but it's not easy to do. It's not easy to not get distracted and look over here and, and do this and do that. Um, but if you can keep your head down and, and work and do the right things, and like you said, treat everyone the right way along the way. The opportunities are going to come. I mean, none of my opportunities as a coach that I got um, were were because I was networking or because I was doing the right things in that regard. It was because I knew somebody that had an, a previous relationship with me and felt comfortable calling me and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm interested in bringing you along or, or whatever it is." Um, so it's it all comes back to people. It's 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 people. No, it's the it's the relationships because um, you know there's a lot of coaches. It's a big fraternity, but it's small. Yeah. And so, because all, all it takes is, you know, one phone call from one person, because people are going to vet you, you know, forever's listening to this thing and, and they're, you know, 
um, going to be interviewing this, that, and the other. They're going, you know, they're at a job and they're thinking of whatever, but it's about relationships and treating people the right way and doing things the right way because all it takes is one call. And if that, that person who's vetting you or the decision makers, they get on the phone with one person and say, ah, I don't know. I'd, I'd maybe look into, you know, I ain't going to really say anything, but you can just tell by a tone in a guy's voice and how he reacts, you know, right. and it just, and then you lose the opportunity. You know, because uh, what goes around comes around. And uh, like I said, it's a real small fraternity. And uh, so as long as you just, you know, the, the check the boxes, you know, the abilities boxes, mm -hmm. reliability, accountability, dependability. You know, we used to do it with players. You know, we said, okay, how many of the abilities does, does this guy have? And the same thing with coaches when hiring coaches. You know, they want great teachers, communicators, smart guys, this, that, and the other. But all those other things, all the abilities, they matter. Love that. Love that. See, I've never heard it put that way. That's that's phenomenal. Let's let's ride this wave a little bit because I think we're we're going down a path that I'd love to pull a little bit more of insight out from you. And that's when you're looking at people that maybe are up for that first job. So maybe we've done all the things correctly and, and we're in that situation where we're getting put in our first leadership role. Like what what would your culture 101 kind of checklist or or curriculum look like? Like if you're a first-time head coach what's your checklist and 101 to kind of get things off the ground from a culture standpoint? Oh man. Um, so I recently just did another little deal uh, with some, with some coaches and, and we, we talked through this whole, this whole deal. And um, we talked about, you know, identity, culture, and process, you know, and then, you know, when you talk about, when you talk about leadership, Matter of fact, Steve Logan gave me this. Um, I want to. I want to read it so I don't mess it up. But he called it the golden standard um, of leadership, and it's willing and able to confront your peers. Inherent in this dynamic is a tough part of the leader, being able to uphold that standard daily. So, like when we started, you know, our program, and, and just to elaborate a little bit on that. Because you're talking about the guy asked you, okay, I've been the best player, this, that, and the other, and we're trying to, you know, develop leadership as well and develop leaders in our locker room and, and coaches, you know, your coordinators and assistant coaches and trying to help them develop so that when an opportunity does come around, you know, they have all the tools necessary to, to go and, and, and get that job and then be successful at that job. But accountability, when we talked about the abilities, Accountability is huge. And I think that's where, where most failed. Where, where, where I struggled sometimes was, was with accountability. Never myself. I, cause I, you know, I'd show up every single day and that's one of the deals you have to be able to do is you got to bring your A game. You got to be you first and foremost. You can't be anybody else. You got to be yourself, you know? Um, and remind me to talk about Tony Dungy and a story he told me about death by inches. Okay. Definitely I'll get to it. But, um, but it, it deals with being, being yourself. Uh, but then that uh, accountability part, cause we've all coached a bunch of great players. I mean, great, great players, but they were quiet, you know, and they didn't want to, you know, be that guy didn't either have the time or the wherewithal. or didn't want to be that guy to go in a locker room and, you know, tell, tell somebody, you know, somebody that they, you know, they, that you're, you know, you're screwing up. Right. You're hurting a team, you know, and I saw Ray Lewis, who's one of the greatest leaders and players of all time. You know, he would, he, he was so selfless, you know? And so when you talk about, you know, culture, um, you know, surround your, yourself with selfless individuals. Humility is, is huge, mm -hmm. but also guys that uh, can hold themselves accountable, but then hold others accountable. But Ray would, he was, I'd always see him with this guy and this guy and this guy. And he'd take the, when guys were, you know, just hustling to try to get out of the door, five o'clock, the bell rings, you know, and it's, and it's time to go home. There's a bunch of them that went home, but he'd be, he'd be grabbing guys and talking to them about the process and taking care of themselves and get in the training room and do this and do that and things off the field and distractions and how to do all that stuff. But the accountability uh, thing is huge. Um, 
you know, I've always been, and I learned this as a young, uh, you know, young man growing up in a football family and watching my dad, I, I, relationships are huge. We talked about it before. And I think uh, you, have to, you have to be able to build uh, relationships with people and you have to be able to communicate. And, you know, love is part of that, you know, and, and trust, loyalty, and respect. That was what, those were the words that kind of up held the shoe for us in Indy, you know, trust, loyalty, and respect. And um, when we first started there, the foundation that we were going to build this program on was going to be built on rock and not sand. Because we knew storms are going to come. Life happens. I say this a lot. All right. Life's tough. As soon as you figure that out, it starts getting a lot easier. Because it, you know, it isn't a bunch of cotton candy, Ferris wheels, unicorns, and all that stuff. It's going to be tough. And we knew that pro, we knew that adversity was going to strike. You know, so we wanted from day one, we wanted to build, you know, our program, you know, the foundation was going to be built on rock and not sand. So that week four in 2012, when you know, it's a bye week and I get some blood work done. Next thing you know, I'm getting a pick line put in my arm and I'm, I'm being treated for leukemia. That, you know, no one foresaw that. Mm. You know, I inherited what was supposedly the worst team in the National Football League. Rookie head coach, rookie GM, you know, rookie quarterback. Mm. We were ranked 32. We put it on a T-shirt. We had all the teams listing at the bottom, the camp T-shirt. You know, you do the camp T-shirt every year. Big, big, the number 32, Indianapolis Colts, you know. So all the players, Peyton was gone, Dallas Clark, Gary Brackett, Jeff Saturday. I can go on and on and on. I mean, that first team meeting I had, I mean, it was like no rebuild. We're just, we, we're just reloading, right? you know. I said, you, you look around, we're missing some people, but by God, you're in this room for a reason, you know. You're an NFL football player. And now you got the opportunity of a lifetime, you know? And if I hear one person say the R word, because my owner was talking about rebuild, rebuild. I was like, no, no, we're reloading, Jim. They just won a gazillion games, you know, over the 14-year, 12-year span with Peyton at the helm. By God, we're going to do the same thing. You know, and next thing you know, shoot, I missed 12 weeks. BA comes in in the interim. He goes nine and three. We make the playoffs, and it's like – how does that happen? It's because of culture. Yeah. So I love this statement, culture, each strategy. Every day, every day. Okay. So it, it's a, it's a, it's that foundation. It was about relationships. It was about trust. It's about loyalty, about respect. We, you know, you got to work hard. Okay. We talked about coming in and earning your way every single day. You got to earn it. And, you know, whether you get a key fob or a finger, you know, use a finger to get in the door. I told him every day you hit a hit punch in your code or that, that thing goes up at, you know, at the, at the guard gate, they let you in here. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and then look in that locker and you saw, you got your Jersey, you got a number and you got a spot on an NFL roster. You do everything you can to never lose that. Right. Whatever that is, you got to do that day. You come in here every single day with that mindset. And then let's just, let's just work, you know, and um, the two signs was that trust, loyalty, and respect. And then it was about the team. You've heard that before. Yep. Using Baltimore, the team, the team, the team. That wasn't me. That was Harbs. I don't know where Harbs got it, but it was always about the team. Mm -hmm. The culture was, it was about us, U.S. So unity over self. Love that. And so when I talked about, you know, selfless individuals, because as you know, especially in the National Football League, there's a lot of, a lot of egos, you know, there's only one football and everybody wants it, you know, wide receiver, the running back, this tight end, you know, everybody wants, there's only one, you know, everybody wants, you know, draw up a pressure, get certain guys sack, get me a sack, get me some stats, blah, 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 get me paid, you know, so we went with this whole team deal and this whole, you know, us, unity over self. And I'm going to ask myself to be selfless. I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. Because mm -hmm. really when it comes down to it, um, it's about serving others. 
you know, and I'm, I'm was always big on servanthood leadership. You know, we were, you know, um, that's just, I think the, in my opinion, you know, one of the, you know, the only way to really do things. Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't going to be about me. You know, it was going to be about us. It was about what can I do for, you know, because I think part of that leadership deal is, is helping you if you're on my staff, anybody on my staff, any of those players is help them get where they want to get to. Mm-hmm. Help develop them, you know, and, and it's going to be tough love. You know, that accountability thing, there's going to be some critical conversations. There's going to be some tough conversations. And it wasn't going to happen out in public. Right. We were going to be man to man. Okay, you got an issue with somebody, you're going to go to that guy. You're going to shut the door. You're going to sit down as grown men and you're going to say, okay, this is what happened. You know, and this is, how you, you know, what was said and, you know, here's, here's how it made me feel. And, you know, we're going to fix this thing. Right. We're going to shake hands and, and, uh, and be able to move on, you know, but I think, you know, that, that as far as starting a program out, you know, and, you know, coming up with your identity and, uh, your process and, and the culture, you know, um, we've used a lot of different things culture-wise, but. Right. Well, it, it sounds to me, Coach, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds to me like you set your culture, so you set your your bedrock, right? You set your foundation of what we're going to be. Your, this is who we're going to be, period. This is what our program's about. That's our, our stated culture, right? This is what we said we're about. And then on the other side, which is where I think people miss kind of, and I say there's your stated culture and then there's your experience culture. So you can say you're about, like, like you were saying, right, accountability, relationships, trust, love, loyalty, respect, those things. If your experience culture isn't aligned with that, then you start to have cracks and then there's problems all over the place, right? So it sounds to me like everything that you did from, from all those words that you used, accountability, relationship, trust, loyalty, respect, you found ways to make them experienced on a daily basis for, for the players. So then it's like, oh no, we are who we say we are. Like we are about what we say we're about. Um, and then it creates a common language, right? And that's almost like a bond. Is, is that kind of accurate? No, it's funny because I, um, like I told all those players, I said, these relationships are for life. They're not just for your, you know, one year here, two years here, three years, whatever. Once you got me, you got me, you know? So it's funny I, when I get, text messages or I get, you know, whatever they'll, cause that culture you're talking about, those words, you know, like our identity, we're going to be tough, smart, relentless, disciplined, and be passionate about the game and about playing for your brother. That was our identity. And we had to go, we had to go practice that. Mm-hmm. And the culture we talked about, it was just reteaching it every single day, not a million slogans, you know, you go down this hall, you got this slogan, this slogan, this slogan, you know, and then guys, you kind of like, who are we? Right. You know, and a change because you, you know, it's like, okay, what am I going to tell them today? And I had people that I could go to and say, you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just keep, find a different way to just reteach what you're talking about. And it, don't, it, don't vacillate. Don't right. waver. Just right. keep reteaching it and find a different story, find a different whatever uh, to keep doing that. Cause we all get in those things where we think, you know, I got to pull a rabbit out of a hat today to try to, you know, we just got our asses kicked, you know, and, and no, you come in and say, hey, we'll watch a tape and grade it. We're going to be brutally honest, you know, uh, with each other, call it like it is the right way. We ain't MFing each other. We're not degrading, you know, we're not going to demean anybody. You should say, hey, look, this is this is good ball and this is bad ball. We could get rid of the bad ball and this is how we're going to fix it. And so just keep reteaching that, you know, day after day after day. Absolutely. And and coach, there, there was two main things that I, I pulled out there. First, when you talk about relationships, man, I, I watched uh, the interview with you and Pat McAfee and. I, you want to talk about relation. I mean, that's genuinely like two men that respect each other. He was excited to see you. So if anybody, you know, hasn't seen that interview, please watch it. It's only a couple minutes, but it's, it's solid gold. I mean, that's, that's entertainment. That's good stuff, but that's somebody you earn that over time. Like that's not something um, that is just given because I say, I care about you, right? That's something that you have to earn. Um, and he genuinely felt that way about you, which, which is exciting for me. And then to hear you talk about the rest of this stuff, it's, it's funny. Cause you're literally, outlining what we teach in our workshops. I mean, 
from making your, your stated culture clear, concise, honest, okay? and then being able to have it have multi, you know, multiple facets, right, and multiple avenues, but you're still reteaching the same message. Um, similar to, I, I sat down with a coach from Ohio State who's a good friend of mine, and he was talking about their culture has been the same for the past couple of years. The word is fight, and it just changes a little bit each year what the fight looks like, you know, how we're fighting, who we're fighting for, what we're fighting with, those types of things. But but the word is the same and, and it doesn't change. Um, and then the, the third piece that I really love there was the accountability piece is that you weren't calling people out, right? And I always say this, especially because I work with a lot of college kids. I say, guys, we have to understand the difference between calling people out and calling people up. Our, our feedback and our accountability should look like this. Hey, listen, we have high standards here. I expect you to meet these standards. I want you to be part of the success that we're going to have. But in order to do that, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you got to do it better. And you got to do it with a sense of urgency, right? Now, obviously you have to, you know, mix your words a little bit, but that's what it should communicate. So to hear you say the way, I mean, you're holding all pro guys. These are the best coaches in the world, coaching the best players in the world. And you're still holding them accountable in a way that is respectful and calling them up to the standard, as opposed to calling them out on the carpet. What you find out is they don't want it any other way. Now they may they may walk in there and then look at you like, so put the film on. You know, I remember when I got benched my senior year at Wyoming, Rocky Long, who's one of my all-time, all-time favorite people and coaches, you know, that I played for and, and I never got to coach for him. But well, yeah, one year as a grad a student coach, but he benched me. I went up to his office, slammed the door. You know, what do you think you're doing? You know, he goes, you stink. <laughs> you suck right now. <laughs> and I, cause he's Troy Robinson was the guy that was behind me at strong safety and sophomore. I said, you're putting Troy. He goes, you stink. You know? And I knew it. Cause I watch a film. We all watch a film and he'd tell you, you know, the film don't lie. So, um, I had, I could go two ways. I could go down the locker room, try to find some shoulder, somebody to throw a pity party with me, you know, and poo poo about it. I'm getting screwed this, that, and the other, or you look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, you know what? I do stink, you know, and I'm, I'm acting like, you know, cause I'm a senior, this, that, and the other, I ain't got to do the same things that, that, you know, I did as a younger player, you know? So, but veteran guys, it doesn't matter who it is. You may not like it, I got called into a bunch of meetings by a bunch of mentors and head coaches and things and was told things that, you know, I didn't want to hear, you know, but I walked out there and I looked myself in the mirror and said, you know, that's the truth, but that helped me. Right. But nobody does that for you. If we don't do that for each other and we don't hold ourselves accountable and hold, hold each other accountable, like you said, in the right way, mm -hmm. then we're not going to develop you know, next year's leaders and next team's leaders are, you know, the leaders for, you know, to, you know, for your, I don't know if you have kids. I don't, I can't remember if you told me, you know, you're too young, probably Stu. What are you, 29? You told me. 29. Yeah. That's when I got married. So <laughs> got married on July 1st, had my first daughter on April 2nd. Do the math. No, but so that's, I mean, that's, that's so, so important, you know, and, and, um, and so vital. And again, it, one of our other uh, slogans was, you know, just do simple better. Love that. So the guys can, you know, guys can play and play fast. And I think that can, can go with anything, you know, because like I said, culture eats strategy. We can, we can come up with so many damn plays and have those call sheets that, you know, or they don't even make paper that big, you know, for a copy, or, you know, to laminate them. Right. You couldn't call them. Those offensive coordinators I've had, they'd come in with those things. I'd be like, we can't call this in five games, you know, <laughs> and we got this offer. Well, who's, well, we got Andrew Luck. Well, let's, okay, let's abuse Andrew because he's brilliant. He's got a photographic <laughs> memory, you know. Let's just abuse him and slow him down, you know, because nobody knew. So he had to get, he had to call the play, which took an hour, and then get every, all the young receivers that we were all, you know, because we had rookie TYL and Dwayne Allen. Kobe Fleen, all these guys, nobody. And he wasn't there because of Stanford's rules. Right. So get the snap count, get this, get the guys lined up. No, we're in this formation, not this one. Keep an eye on the play clock. You know, ID the defense, reset the protection, you know, and then run the play. <laughs> so I was always like, just do simple better. Right. At the end of the day, 
like when you said this early on, right? It's it's easy, but it's hard. Right. That's kind of what our mind meant what we were talking about. Yep. Um it's about blocking, tackling, throwing, catching, just fundamentals and technique. Simple, not easy. Dude, yeah, simple, not easy, but let's just do all the little things better than everybody else mm -hmm. and not beat ourselves. Right. So when you're, when you're dealing with those young guys, coach, how do you get them to, to kind of shift that mindset? So like you talked about a Ray Lewis, you talked about some, you know, and even you saw Peyton Manning towards the end there, or, you know, Joe Flacco, like you see these guys that are focused on the process. How do you get the young guys to develop that mindset versus like that perception of I had one bad game. Now that defines me. Like, how do you, how do you kind of shift that in your young players? That's the same thing. So, you know, our process was in a game, it's 60 minutes. All you got one play at a time. Don't judge. Mm -hmm. Don't judge. Okay. Don't judge. Okay. So from day one, they, they heard that when I talked about identity, culture, and process, that was, that's going to be our process. So on a daily, you know, once you get your routine, your daily process is, you know, one treatment at a time, one meal at a time, one meeting, one walkthrough, one practice, and the game, like I said, 60 minutes, all you got, one play at a time, don't judge. So uh, good play, move on. Bad play, move on. Right. Don't look at the scoreboard. All right, we're down 21 at half, Kansas City in the playoffs. Give the Newt Rockney, you know, best Newt Rockney speech of all time, you know. We go out, we got the ball in the third quarter. Luck throws a pick on the first play of the third quarter. They score, we're down 28. And I'm thinking, holy crap, great job at halftime, you know. But I talk, but we talked about that from day one. It was no judgment. Mm -hmm. Don't look at the scoreboard. You know, a good play, move on. A bad play, move on. Don't beat yourself up. Don't dwell on it, you know. And, you know, sometimes success is, uh, is a lot harder to handle, you know, than failure you know, because of that complacency stuff. So that whole process, we beat that up day after day after day after day. You can call any of those players that I had over those six years in Chicago, and they said, what is, when Coach talked about process, I would hope every one of them would say, 60 minutes, all you got, one play at a time, don't judge. Don't judge. Just keep chopping. They had a website here in Indy, you know, chopping wood, because they make fun of me. <laughs> you know, because if you, if you just keep, you know, going through whatever you're going through, adversity you're facing in life whatever if you don't put the axe down and you just keep swinging it you know the tree is eventually going to fall you know so that was that was ingrained in, in our players and the judgment thing was huge you know because as you know being around especially young play, young players young people they you know they want to be that right now right and it's a and it's a process and there's going to be there's going to be disappointment you know, we, we said never discouraged, disappointed. Okay. But never discouraged. Mm -hmm. I think there's a huge difference in those two words. Right. We can be disappointed, but we're going to go to work. And we're going to fix it. We're not going to be discouraged. Call it the wildebeest. You know, the wildebeest, when they, they just drop their head and they're, they're crossing <laughs> that river. They cross every year and them gators are eating them up, they just drop their head. Then they just, it was like, they're ready to die. Right. Up. Right. So you can't do that. Like Ohio State, you fight. You got to have grit. Yeah, that's no, that's that's grit was, exactly. grit was big with us too. We it spent is. a lot of time when Angela Duckworth came out with that that whole deal on grit and that study and that little YouTube. We we, we took that and ran with that. Yeah, and, and you have to, and it's and it's the ability, you know, for a lot of kids. I, I I say this when when coaches say, you know, as a strength coach, like what was one thing that wasn't in your job description? I said, oh, I teach perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm a professor in perspective. Like that's what I teach. And it's, and it's for young people being able to see if you are, uh, you know, at UNLV, we weren't getting five-star kids, but we're getting three-star guys. If you're walking in and you're a three-star guy and you were all state, all this, all that, and you come in and camp's not going the way you want it to, are you looking at yourself and saying, Hey, this is one bad scene in a movie, or is this a bad movie? You know, and that, and getting them to understand that, Hey, you can't become that self-fulfilling prophecy, kind of like you said, where it's like, okay, things aren't going the way I want. So I'm going to shut down. I'm going to judge myself and I'm going to pull back. 
And then at that point, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm confirming what's already, you know what I mean? I, I become a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. because now I'm not invested in my process. I'm not recovering the way I should. I'm not training the way I should. I'm not lifting the way I should because I've already in my mind said, I can't do this or, or I'm not what I thought I was or, or whatever it is. The pity party kind of kicks in. Um, so I always told people, I, I teach perspective for a living. No, it's huge. You know, and those, you know, after what uh, I went through, and was fortunate to come out on the right side of, of my battle, you know, with cancer. And we know that all the stories don't end and, you know, good, unfortunately. And, um, but going through some real life stuff will teach you great perspective and give you great pers uh, perspective. I always had good perspective, but after that, it was like, my motto was, you know, they can't eat you, right? They can fire me, but they can't eat me. You know, and they'd be after me, this, that, and the other. When luck was down, and we were losing, and it was coming down to the end. And they were like, "How do you maintain this mentality and this mindset and the positivity?" And I, I said, "Really?" I said, "We're coaching and playing a kid's game, right? And there's some real life shit out there that's going on that should maybe could get you sideways." So right. what you're saying is is exactly right. It is about perspective. You know, we have these so what now what moments, you know, that I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, I, that's we, use, we use that all the time. Guys that come to me and. And so, so what now what? You know, what do you want me to do, Charlie? Charlie Whitehurst is in at Miami. We're down to our seventh string quarterback. Everybody, Matt, you know, Hasselbeck, Hasselbeck took over for Andrew when he went out in 15. And he, and he won, he went like five and three in eight games. And then he's 40 years old. He's, he's at it. And we throw Charlie out there, clipboard Jesus. And he's there, he's in for one series. He comes hobbling over. And I don't even know if we have anybody left. McAfee was our emergency talking about Pat. I think um, we, I think we have one other guy kid from Miami, Stevie. And um, he goes, I think my hamstrings, I said, Charlie, what do you want me to do? So what, now what? Is it torn or is it just hurting a little bit? I'm going to be okay, coach. I'm, I'm going to be all right. You know, he had that Southern twang from Nashville. I'm going to be okay, coach. And, but the long and short of it is, is, you know, I always told that story about Robbie Conrad. You know, a kid that went, went to Syracuse, played for the Dolphins, fell off his boat 10 miles offshore. He's fishing by himself. Boats on all the pilot. He's got no life jacket. Got wife, two daughters, expecting him home for dinner. He falls in the water, boat goes one way, and he's sitting there 10 miles offshore. You talk about a so what, now what moment, you know? What yep. are you going to do? I always told my players that, what are you going to do? They're looking at me like, so start freaking swimming. And that's exactly what he did. He said, shoot, I'm getting my ass. And 16 hours later, he landed on the beach. Right. He made it. You know, that's just, you know, that's what you're talking about. And that, the, so what, now what, talked about cleansing. The cleansing was always, the ABCs were accountability. The B was for buoyancy. So the buoyancy was so what, now what. Mm -hmm. And then the C was for cleansing. And that was a compared to what moment. Wow. Okay. Hey, so how bad? Okay. So I'm, you know, camping going how I wanted to go, you know. I'm second team, I'm third team, coaches all over me, blah, 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 you know, pity party time. You know, and so we talked about a cleansing, you know. All right, how bad do you really got it? You want to open up the newspaper, put the news on or whatever. You want to see what bad is. <laughs> you got full scholarship, three meals a day, beautiful dorm, hotel, whatever. Yep. You're getting a free sixty, seventy thousand dollar education. Your girlfriend's a hot as hell. And what are you bitching about? Right. Get out right. of my office. Yeah. So every now and then a cleansing, just a little self check about okay, is it really that bad? Do I really have it that bad? Because there's a lot of there's a lot worse things going on, you know. Yep. And it's a good self check. I love that. I love that. So, so let me ask you this. Let's talk a little bit about like your leadership style. Um, 
when, when you look at your career as a coach, and I, I know for me, I was, I was only in it, you know, eight years. I mean, I'm still coaching on side now, but not at the same, same level or same degree. I know my leadership style and has changed and the way that I coach has changed and it develops over time and it, and it matures. Like when you look back on yours, what do you think has been the biggest area that you've developed or changed in? So, so let me give you an example. For instance, for me, when I first got into it, I was a bull in the China shop, dude, like, like just a million miles an hour, like a lot of young coaches. Um, and I realized that, especially when I started to coach some different sports other than just football, it was like, oh, wait, this approach doesn't work with everyone. So I think the biggest thing that I learned that I developed in my own leadership skills over the career was empathy and being able to be empathetic with people um, and communicate that. So, so what do you think for you has been the biggest leadership skill that you've built or added to the toolbox um, over your career? You know, and how, how have you kind of changed as a leader? I think probably we're really similar because as a young coach, volume was always at 10. You know, and it was loud. And it was, you know, the best drill coach in the in the history of drills. I had every and then when I looked at the game, right, and watched what they were doing, I mean, they weren't doing any of that. Coach DB's my you know, mainly my whole life, you know. You gotta be able to backpedal, plan drive, come forward, backpedal, open up and run like, you know, find the ball down the field. It isn't that, you know come up, cracker, tackle this, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, so figured out along the way that you don't have to be a 10, you know, so from a communication, it's always been about relationships with me. That's never changed. Right. But where I grew was as a, a better communicator, you know, and a better teacher mm -hmm. doing the things that you were talking about that, you know, one way isn't always the best way, you know, everybody learns different some learning the, can handle the classroom and some just they, they no good and that's it's walk through for this guy it's a it's a cut up doing it this way it's whatever that is finding out what that is mm -hmm. but always the starting point was i'm going to get to know you okay dick for me always said this okay they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and that's always stuck with me yep. i heard that a long long time ago Yep. And, uh, and it's so true, you know, cause if they, if they know you care about them and you love them, all right. And it's real and it's genuine, you know, and it's authentic. That's where you spend your time, right. You know, is, is building that relationship. And that's, I think the biggest, you know, biggest thing for me was okay. On the front end. Okay. Let's get to know this person. What makes this guy tick and, his family and his parents and this, that, and his significant other, whatever it is, pros, it was, you know, their wives and kids, and, you know, that communication and, you know, doing stuff out of, out of the blue where like, what's this guy texting me for? And, you know, it's you know, this, that, just little things. Right. Right. So I learned with my wife, it took me this, this year will be 32 years. Okay. And so, like, I finally figured it out about after 28 or 29 years. It's just little things, a little note in the, you know, left for in the morning. I mean, just little things that make them happy. And it isn't, you know, expensive jewelry and this, that, and the, that ain't got nothing to do with it. And it's so easy. She said, you're such a dumbass. <laughs> you just figure this out, you know? <laughs> So that's, I think that's the, it's, that's the biggest thing is, is, you know, building that relationship and, you know, and that, and that bond. And cause once, once that, you know, once that's there, you know, and it's like real mm -hmm. and, you know, now you can have conversations about anything, talk about anything, yep. you know, guy, the level of it can get heated, mm -hmm. right place, even like a staff member defensive staff meetings and stuff. You've been in meetings where it got up here, right? Oh, yeah. as, long as, I, as a head coach, I would, as long as there's love in this room and we respect and love each other, mm -hmm. relationship, there's some meetings that are going to, they'll get, the volume will get high. It'll get loud. And, that, and that's okay. But then it, somebody's got to make a decision. You know, yeah. As a head coach, you got to make a decision. Coordinator, you got to make a decision. And when we decide on something, we shake each other's hand. And we, we sign off on that and we walk out of this room, this meeting room, and we go sell that to our players. And that can't be, 
you know, running back coach goes down and, you know, the players all want to run, you know, this play and then blah, blah, blah. Well, we, he don't want to do that. Coach don't want to do that. So we're going to, I guess we're going to do it this way, you know, and they know right then and there. Oh yeah. You just undermine the whole deal. Yep. You got to sell it like it's your idea. No. And that's, and you go in there and say, you know, this is, this is, this is how we're going to do it. And this is why, you know, this is why we're going to do it. You know, and I think that's the, you know, as you know, the things you learn all along the way is, is being able to, you know, sell an idea, but okay, this is why this mm-hmm. technique works and show them. Right. You know, now with your, with your staff, how did you handle, like, how do you handle feedback with, with your guys? Was, were you open door policy? Were you like, Hey, we're going to do one-on-one meetings. Like what, what was kind of some of your tools? Open door, open door, Come open. On and let it rip. And then, yeah. And then, again, we were going to, cause I, I, a lot of things rolled off my tongue that I don't, you know, not real proud of. Right. You know, but you can't, you can't ever get it back. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be, Hey, look, something happens and I do something, somebody does something that, you know, isn't right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get together. Right. And let's, right. let's figure it out and, and, and then be able to move forward. Cause those band, those, you know, if you don't rip off some band-aids, you know, and fix some things, then those wounds, they don't ever go away. Right. It's fester. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then sometimes then it's too late and you can't, you can't fix that, you know, and it's like, you know, a co you know, head coach does this. And then these two guys get together, you know, or a player comes to not his position coach, but he comes to you as a strength coach, you touched every player. Right. So a lot of guys came to you and said, Hey man, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Blah, 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 blah. Now you had, you, two ways you could respond, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way. You know, you want to be that guy's buddy. You're going to side with him. Right. You want to help him and be a great leader and a great mentor. Then you just say, Whoa, this is not a conversation. I hear you. I feel you, but you need to go sit down with your coach right now. Yep. And you need to go have that conversation with him right now. Now, if you can get the whole building, the weight room, cause weight room, equipment room, Training room. I mean, that's where a lot of hell can break loose. Oh, that can be the water cooler real quick. Oh, real quick. are you kidding me? Real quick. Those people down there, everybody's got to be so aligned. Mm-hmm. Like when you start that program, you know, like when I got the indie job, I said I, we got the whole the whole building together in the in the pavilion, you know, and I dressed everybody, introduced the whole staff, and and I just said, hey, look, everybody's job in here matters. Because when we win, it's going to be about, you know, I don't care if you're slinging hash and cooking eggs, mm-hmm. wit in the kitchen, this guy emptying waste paper baskets, every job matters, you know, and it, it's about us. It's unity over self. And it's about everybody being selfless and doing the very best that they can do. And we're going to treat each other with that respect. And this ain't about me or that guy, that guy, that guy. It's about us, yep. you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's so, so important. And those conversations, you know, and about, you know, guys being able to come to you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and air their, you know, air their feelings mm-hmm. and have, and know that um, you've built a, a good enough relationship where they feel comfortable yeah. and they're not afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's huge. You gotta, you, that relationship's gotta be so good where guys will knows he, you know, he's not going to be under fire right? for, for coming to you with something. Mm-hmm. And, and do you think that plays into um, like, so I, let me back up a little bit. Like when I, when I look at the people and that you've been around and the, the people you've been influenced by, but then I also look at the progression of like, after you left Indy, um, you look at like a BA's career, like, obviously, I mean, what, what he's done has been tremendous. Like, do you think those relationships and that type of stuff how does that play into your ability to then develop those coaches as well? Like your ability to be able to rip that bandaid off and, and, you know, we'll just use BA as an example here and say, Hey, you're not right in this situation. We need to discuss this. Like, don't, do you feel like if you weren't able to do that, it would slow his development? I never told the BA. Oh, he was the best. I was so lucky to have Bruce. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but no, what, what you're saying is it goes both ways mm -hmm. because there was a lot of times where I felt like, you know, I was right. And then you bring somebody in and you say, okay, why are we doing this, this, and this, this way when we should be? And then you hear somebody and you really get to the bottom, you drill, drill down, mm -hmm. figure out, well, shoot, I was wrong. Right. There's a lot of times where I was, you know, and you got to have um, the humility to be able to have those conversations, give them out and then accept the other criticism that's going to come back. Because mm -hmm. everybody's going to want to know why. If they're, if they're, if they believe in themselves, you know, and I, and I told the assistant coaches, I wanted them to challenge me. When we challenge each other, iron sharpens iron. It's just like practice, right? Like man sharpens man, you know? So we were, it was going to be tough in a lot of different ways. And, and that's the only way you get better. Right. You know, and, and I don't want a bunch of yes, men. My dad didn't want that. He wanted, he wouldn't hire anybody that didn't aspire to be a head coach. He would ask him. You know, but he didn't, but at the same time, he didn't want anybody, you know, taking any shortcuts. Right. Be a head coach. Mm -hmm. So along with, like you said, the empathy, the, the relationship, the communication, the teaching, all that stuff. But he wanted guys that are what that aspired to be, you know, in his role. Right. Because, right. you know, he'd, he'd get he'd get guys that were passionate, you know, about about teaching and about coaching and, and wanted to, you know, not that be the, you know, and there's some people that were okay with just, you know, being whatever for whatever. Right. Right. Well, well coach, I want to be aware of your time here. I, I want to wrap up with, with, I got four quick questions for you. They're just going to be quick. Just give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. So the first one, what does the word legacy mean to you? Something that outlives you okay. long after you're gone. Love it. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, this guy was about serving others, helping others. Love it. What do you think is the most important habit or the most positive habit that you have? Riding my Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? I've ever received. Start tough because you can always ease up. Love it. Well, coach, this is, has been absolutely phenomenal, man. I, I know for me personally and selfishly, I, I've said before, if, if, you know, the rest of my business never does anything, what I've learned through doing these podcasts is more than enough payment for, for the rest of my life. Um, so I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time and being willing to share a little bit with us. Um, so for these last few minutes, we'll, we'll give you the mic here and let you close it out. Um, any closing message you have for everybody, anything that, that you think would be, you know, worth sharing, please do so. And then, and then we'll get you out of here. Yeah. So we talked about living in vision and not circumstance. And it really came about, you know, during my battle in 2012, you know, and I talked to the team one time I got out of the hospital, I got to go back and I said, the vision I'm living is that, you know, we're going to hoist that Lombardi you know, and I'm going to beat cancer and I'm going to be around for a long, long time for my wife and my family. I'm going to walk two more daughters down the aisle. I'm going to get emotional here. Um, and dance at their weddings. And that was, you know, halfway through, you know, my, my treatment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think you have to have a vision, okay, of, you know, and, and I go back to, you know, Michelangelo. He had a seven-foot block of marble that he sat there and stared at day after day, month after month, until he got a vision of what he wanted David to look like. It was all in here. And so once he got that vision, he just started chipping away at that marble. And what he chipped away was anything that didn't look like David. So whatever you want your relationship to be in your life, whatever you want your, your, your room to look like, whatever position you coach, um, yourself, uh, whatever it is, you know, David, what you're doing with this, 
that vision, like football, like bad, whatever's bad football, let's chip away at it. Just like he chipped away at that marble and anything that didn't look like David, he, he got rid of. So anything that that's getting in the way of your vision, you know, then, then get it out. Awesome. Thank you so much, coach. And, and again, um, you know, this is, has been unbelievable and, and a solid hour for anybody, please, you know, reach out to me and, and I'll get the thank you letters to coach. Cause I know this, this is one that's worth it. Um, so we appreciate you again. And as always guys, leaders are built, not born. I just want to take a second and thank Coach Pagano again for his time. I mean, anytime you get the opportunity to sit down with somebody with 35 years of coaching experience and, and 20 years in the NFL, I mean, he's been an NFL head coach. It's just there's a wealth of knowledge there, and, and for him to take the time to really dive into his, his curriculum and his philosophy when it comes to culture and implementing accountability within his teams and his staff um, and some of the tools that he used um, to really drive those lessons home with players. And at the end of the day, um, like Coach said, it's all about relationships and, and his ability to build those relationships and build a culture off of those relationships that allowed for the highest level of accountability um, is something that really should be looked at and really should be understood by anybody listening to this. So again, I urge you guys, take your notes, um, go back through this thing, unpack it once, twice, maybe even three times. Um, and again, if you like what you hear, if there's a follow-up conversation we want to have, reach out to us, man. Let's let's continue the conversation either on social media, on our website. Okay, join us on there. Um, and as always, guys, leaders are built, not born.